Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food and eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Today we're in Leicester chatting with Gemma Orton, Managing Director, and Yvette De Silva, volunteer and food waste pirate at Perfectly Edible. Their mission is admirable, to tackle the ever-growing crisis of both food waste and food poverty in Leicester and in the UK as a whole. They do this a couple of ways, by rescuing and distributing surplus food, which would otherwise end up in landfill, to those who need it most, through their community cafe in the west end of Leicester and with a pay-what-you-can-eat market stall every Friday. In less than four years, Perfectly Edible has rescued an incredible 50 tonnes of food from going to landfill and cooked over 20,000 meals for their local community. It's both incredible and terrifying that these figures only apply to just one food waste charity in just one city. Thank you so much for joining us, Gemma and Yvette, um, to talk about this crisis and how you are making such a positive impact. So before we get on to the serious stuff, we've got to start with our usual opening question. And we're going to ask you both separately because there's two of you. So Gemma, first of all, what is your first memory of food? Um, well, I mentioned this the other day to Yvette, didn't I? Um, it's probably not a, a positive memory that I have with food. Um, I think mine was from school, eating school dinners. Mm. Um, yeah, I just remember the smell of like spaghetti hoops and uh, toast and things like that because I didn't get on with food when I was younger. Uh, that's changed now, <laughs> massively. But yes, yeah, so it's not really the best memory, but that's the most poignant memory I think in my mind. Probably like cheap, watery spaghetti hoops as well. Yeah, like school, yeah. school spaghetti hoops. Yeah, or beans because I don't get on with beans at all. I think that's it stems from that. I think. Do you it's want not... to fight them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, if you didn't eat your if you didn't eat all your food when you were a kid, you would have the school dinner ladies walking around, making you like eat food you didn't want to eat. So yeah, it's not a really good memory. <laughs> no, gosh, I'm so glad we didn't have school dinners in Australia then. Do they do school dinners in Australia? They might do them in the private schools, but we had tuck shop. Oh, you just go and buy your food from the tuck shop. Yeah. But did you take sandwiches? Yeah, if you wanted to. Okay. You could take your own food. But there was no sort of provided food from the school kitchen. No, it may have been different in different areas or in private schools or... You missed out on all those watery beans. I don't know. I think I've come out of it quite well. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, Yvette, your first memory of food. Oh, gosh. I don't think it goes that... My my good memory of food that I have is my mum's shepherd's pie. Um, and I just remember she put Worcester sauce in and I thought this was some kind of magic mojo. <laughs> it is. And it is, definitely. Because yeah. now I make shepherd's pie and I have to put Worcester sauce in it because I have tried it without and it definitely is some some magic mojo. See, my mum's shepherd pie was <laughs> not... No. It's, it's not, I hope she doesn't listen to this. It's not, it's not, it's not the best, so I avoid that. Sorry, Mum. <laughs> she knows every time she makes it, I'm like, no, I'll come and teach me. I'll come and teach you to make you a good shepherd's pie. You can't beat a good shepherd's pie, actually. Now I'm hungry. Anyway. Just had lunch, but that's fairly normal for us. <laughs> so um, tell us a bit about what you guys do. So when did Perfectly Edible arrive on the scene? So, well, <laughs> it was January of this year, wasn't it? Yeah. Official takeover was 4th of January. 
and it was handed to me and my partner um, Laquinda from two people, um, Alison and Bobby, who started the Real Jump Free Project Leicester. Um, so yeah, what we do, we run a we run a cafe on a Friday. Community cafe. Community cafe. Um, that's the main thing that we do. And, um, and who is that helping? So that's helping. Well, I always we always try and help people that are suffering with food insecurity mainly. That's like our target group. And food insecurity for for those of us of the uninitiated. What what does that include? So that's well, it's people that basically can't afford. So it. imagine, yeah, yeah, people who are who are being referred to food banks, yeah. people who are on very low income, people maybe who are working two jobs, three jobs within a family, and are having to still scrimp and save in order to just you know uh, cover the bare essentials. How did you both get involved with this? So I joined last year, last June, um, as the events manager. So I've got a background in events um, with my previous work. So I started through that. So I was employed, not necessarily... I didn't become a volunteer, really, straight away. But um, gradually, as my... As I spent more time with the with the project, I just got more and more involved. Um, we did have an operations manager um, leave in November, and um, I don't, they didn't replace her, did they? So well, no. So I had to kind of just take the reins because no one else was taking the reins, and um, I wanted to as well. It just kind of naturally progressed into did, into yeah. what I do now. And then the people who were, as I mentioned earlier, who were um, directing it, um, decided they wanted to go on to pastures new, um, and they left. And then Gemma decided, and we all agreed, you know, well, let's not let it just go because yeah. we've got lots of networks, we've got lots of volunteers, not lots, we've got lots of, we've got a handful of volunteers who are really dedicated. Um, and we didn't want to lose them and we still wanted to do the rescuing food and to make it accessible to people who don't have so much access to good healthy food. So were you passionate about food waste and sustainability before you started? Um, I went through because I I was unemployed for about six months and I went through like a a massive phase of like uh, or transition shall we say of like looking into sustainable fashion sustainable ways of living and um, not necessarily food waste in particular sustainable living as a whole yeah yeah because I yeah I I became like a a minimalist Mm. Um, in the six months that I was unemployed I was like getting rid of everything and then just trying to keep the things that were like either going to bring me joy or um, things that I actually needed so I got rid of like 80% of the stuff that I owned wow to like give into charity or to people that needed it um, so yeah, like I was already, I suppose, on this path to finding something like this, um, and I'd like attempted to become vegan for a little bit. It didn't really uh, go to plan, but I've definitely become more vegetarian um, than I was. But yeah, food waste is kind of something that started from working with this project. Mm. I would say, yeah. It ties in quite nicely, though, with what you were doing. It anyway. does, yeah, it does. Um, I just wanted to, you to explain a little bit. So the business is run as a CIC, mm-hmm. which is a community interest company. So yeah. I don't fully understand what that means, but what does it mean? Legally, I suppose it means that we do charitable stuff, 
but we don't have to go through, um, jump through the hoops that charities have to jump through in order to get their number. Right. Um, Because if you want to become a charity, you have to have a board of directors, and the board of directors doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the charity, apart from it can make decisions about the charity. Whereas um, we wanted the directors. You have to have a directorship when you've got a company, any company. Um, so we wanted to have a directorship, but actually the people who were connected directly. On the ground. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, definitely. that makes sense. And so it also means um, um, community interest companies tend to be a lot more grassroots. They tend to be grown by people who want, who have an ambition or an aim, whatever that is. Mm. Um, and then the quickest way to become a business and then carry on forward is to become a CIC Becoming a charity is quite difficult. Yeah, and it also means that all the money we make after the overheads are covered goes back into the business because there's no shareholders or anything like that. So, yeah, it's all about the fact that we've got the community at our interests. Isn't it? Yeah. We do everything in the interest of it. And everything goes back into the community. Yeah. So we, the community creates... And then everything goes back into yeah. it, and then it's like it's a complete so just cycle. Always circle. trying to move forward, and yeah, better ourselves and improve things and that kind of thing. Yeah. So no, there's no big boys taking loads of money. That's brilliant. <laughs> that's promise, yeah, that's good. brilliant. Now, in terms of cycle, let's start at the beginning of the cycle. Where are you rescuing the surplus food from? Um, so supermarkets. Yeah, the majority is. I'd say what eighty percent is. Yeah. 90% maybe supermarkets um, I'm not sure if we're allowed to mention names or not <laughs> you can but it's up to you I mean to be honest it was there was a bit of a stigma wasn't there about the food waste and who was wasting all, you know all their food and stuff like that but now all the supermarkets have like, gone on board with got, it, got on board actually. with it so I think it's quite a positive thing to mention their name now so um, we work a lot with M&S we work with Lidl um, just about to work with Aldi. Yeah, Aldi. Fairshare, um, Tesco. Yeah, because we work with another um, organisation called Fairshare. Yeah. Um, who are massive. Yeah. And um, they've they've set us up with um, co-op, um, who have like a really good setup because what they do is they basically, as um, obviously all the food gets distributed out to the supermarkets, and then everything that hasn't been sold then gets collected by the same people and brought back to this hub. Um, in Narbra, where that then gets distributed to organisations and charities. So rather than someone going around to collect food from all the different supermarkets, they do that for us, which is like That's a fantastic. really positive thing. So Co-op are doing a really good job, I think, with that. Yeah, they are. Um, There's Neighbourly as well, who M&S yeah. belong to, and Lil and Aldi, and they're also really brilliant, very helpful. And they do a similar thing, except they do identify the supermarkets who've joined their system and then they send us notifications and they say you know M&S would like you to collect they've got this many trays and then we contact M&S because we have now we've been doing it for such a long time but we're on you know first name basis with mm, them so yeah, we just give them a ring and we just say you know hi I'm coming in at four we've got whatsapp routes you know for right. the various supermarkets and then we go and pop over and collect and it's really good actually because I wasn't sure what your answer to that question would be because I think in the past supermarkets have obviously come under fire for the amount of food that they were yeah. wasting. I know there were things in the news like a few years ago where kind of Tesco's were binning off loads and loads and loads of stuff. 
so you can probably hear the rain yeah. on here. And the fact that they are even distributing to you via these hubs rather than expecting you to mm. drive out everywhere and collect it, it just yeah. shows that how serious this issue is and the fact that people are actually pulling their fingers out and making it work for, for people like you. Um, so what kind of food do you get? Does it change every week? Do you not know what you're going to be cooking or does it tend yeah. to be... Um, is there a particular food that you get a lot of, for example? We get, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, we get, we do get an awful lot of bread. I would mm. say, I would say in the region of about forty to fifty percent of what we collect is bread. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> and um, which is which is not good because if you think about the resources that are needed in order to grow the crops. For bread, um, then it uses up an awful lot of land mass, and I know off the top of my head statistically that agriculture takes about seventy percent of water. So seventy percent of, of um, global water use is given over to agriculture, and about forty-eight percent of that is given over to crops. So if you think about all of the resources that are going into, say, a loaf of bread or all of these loaves of bread that we go and collect and that are ultimately destined for landfill that we're rescuing, that's an awful lot of resources that are just being wasted, not to mention greenhouse gases, not to mention the plastic that's, you know, they're wrapped up in. It's so much more than the end product. Totally, totally. Yeah. So it's people's time and energy as well, isn't it, that's going into yeah. producing this stuff, which yeah. is literally just being thrown, just away. Being thrown away. And it's all so that, particularly us in the West, so that we have an unlimited supply of food, so that we can just say, oh, I need to pop to, you know... Um, a supermarket at one in the morning or whenever it is to go and get my loaf of bread so it's always there the supply Mm. is always there for us Um, so you're getting all this bread what are you doing with it because I I can think of a few things off the top of my head that you could do with that kind of thing like bread and butter pudding done that yeah (laughs) you know obviously you know creating mounds upon mounds of breadcrumbs for use in other things <laughs> yeah, and, and all mean, that sort of thing I can imagine you can do but we've done, yeah, we've, done that we've, we've done all kinds of things but a lot of it is very time consuming you know if you're trying to get things out for a cafe we have mini markets so we do put quite a lot of bread out and a lot loads of the produce goes in our mini markets and that also helps raise funds for the project but we also um, run a school scheme where um, schools pay a small fee, monthly fee, and we send them about seven or eight trays of produce, and then they pass that produce on to the parents and and the children in the schools. We actually run a specific bread market at DMU University, so they take three or four crates a week. So that does help a little bit. Um, it I sort of puts a bit of a dent it in does, it, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> and this is the yeah. thing, this comes back to the, your name, Perfectly Edible. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind that all of this food that you're selling on and is perfectly edible for people to eat yeah. has been given to you because the supermarket has deemed that its life is done. And that's yeah. the thing that is so crazy about this situation. That supermarket has said, no, that's off our shelves. And it's still good to go. I think... I definitely think there's a long way to go with the, obviously, like, 
used by dates that you, you have to stick with them well just about because it's things like meat and dairy where you can mm. get really sick from from eating them but the the best before dates i think it's for some reason people are programmed now to abide by this mm. best before date for some reason where it's literally just like saying that it's going to be at its best before that day, after that, it's up to you whether you... It's still edible. Exactly. But... That's what I keep saying. It's perfectly yeah. edible. So, um, yeah, I think it's either, either the supermarkets have, have got to stop putting such short uh, shelf lives on produce or or people have got to just be a bit more relaxed about things. Or they, yeah, you use your initiative, yeah. don't you? You see something, it looks okay. You smell something, mm. it looks okay. Well, it's more or less going to be okay, isn't it? Mm, and yeah. if it's not, then you, you know, try and compost it if you can. Try and find a way to reuse it and not put it into landfill. But if you really need to, and be mindful about what you eat, you know, maybe plan more so you can mm. get all these best before things in, but maybe plan your menus. So on that note, we're looking at like 250,000 tonnes of edible food that gets sent to landfill every year. What are some of the small changes? That, and that's just in the UK. And that, Yeah, exactly. What are some of the small changes that I could make at home or, you know, John, John down the road could make at home to try and reduce that figure a little bit, aside from really planning out your food? Um, well, what I do personally is I do batch cooking, so I will cook quite a lot of something, and then I will maybe eat it for that meal, my family and I, and then I'll I'll um, store it. I'll put it in containers, and then I'll put it in the freezer. So I've made my own healthy, convenience food, which I then, if I've got a busy day and I'm or I don't feel like cooking, I can then take it out of the freezer and I've not used any extra resources to use that to, uh, to create that I've just made it in that moment that I've made it and then put it in the freezer and no resource other extra resources are used there are some brilliant apps now as well aren't they oh yeah uh, is, it, is it Olio, Olio? Mm. there's Olio um, yeah so where people can uh, put things up on this app that basically say, I've got this left over if anyone would like it. Yeah, things like that are fantastic. Holiday. There's another one, isn't there, called Karma, but that is more London-centric. Okay. Um, there's also an app called Too Good To Go. Yeah, that's getting quite popular now, isn't it? It is, but yeah. But that works specifically with restaurants, restaurants and cafes and, and places. Yeah, and then um, so if you... If they've got food left over, they put it on. Yeah, you it's just... a great idea. But yeah, I think they sell it, don't they, for like... Next to nothing, it's yeah. probably a few quid yeah. for. I know Yo Sushi and yeah. those guys, they do that. Yeah. Um, so you can get a load of sushi for a few. We've done that. Quid. We've Amazing. gone to Yo Sushi. We've had about, they say it's worth about £10. We've had a big bag. My son loves sushi. Yeah. So, um, so I've got him that. So, yes, and yeah, menu planning's good. And, you know, back, back in the old days, you know, when, you know when, the, when there was World War Two. And there wasn't so much land and or people were, were growing their allotments. Not everybody's got that land space, but people were a lot more a lot more savvy about about the food that was being used. Um, so try and invent your own recipes or look at recipe books and, and alter your 
um, ingredients. So if it says, you know, put some potatoes in there and you haven't got potatoes, well, use carrots or a swede or something else. You don't have to use what's in the recipe or just create your own thing. Mm. Think outside the box. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I, would, I would do that quite, when I was living on my own. Um, I would literally just look at what I had left in the cupboard, which was hardly anything most of the time, and I'd just shove it all together. Mm. So it'd always be something with rice, but it'd be like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, yes. seasoning. Yes. It, it'd always come out really you well. You would great, make great housemates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, um, I'm big on trying to cut down my food waste at home, and I'm always like making, delivering a plate of food to Dave, and he'll be like, uh, what is that? And I'll say, it's, he'll eat it, it'll be delicious. And yeah. afterwards I'll say, oh, had to cook quite a lot of mould <laughs> off the edge of that carrot thing. <laughs> yes, well, that's you know, what we like. This is yeah. a strange And that's, a, that's another good point as well. <laughs> just because, you know, a carrot may be a little bit mouldy on one end, just cut that end off. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's fine. If, if the potatoes have got eyes on, push the eyes off. And if they've got any you know, um, any sort of marks on, just cut those out. You, you don't have to throw the whole thing away. Mm. And there's another aspect of this. I think wonky, wonky veg has become mm-hmm. very, very popular now. Um, I know when I was a kid, you would always you would always see these carrots, you know, that did willies on something like that. <laughs> and, uh, I like that you whispered that. Yeah, I, I still got it, don't worry. Show. And, um, yeah, and our, that, that was the norm, you know, and, and bun-shaped potatoes and things like that. And now everything <laughs> is... We always put them in the window, don't we? Yeah. Get them. No, I don't. Uh, I don't yes, know what you're talking you about. I come in and I see them and I think, what are you doing? Take them off. <laughs> um, but, yes, things like that. You know, it, just because it's wonky or it's covered in soil or you get... Um, we've had chicken eggs we have a, a farm that we go and collect from a chicken farm and um, fantastic fantastic beautiful eggs and sometimes they've got you know chicken stuff on them well yes okay so what you know that is how it is life mm. is life is irregular Absolutely. as are all the things that are created within it including the vegetables and the eggs and everything else so we need to get real with it you know this comes back to what we were talking about earlier with um, what Gemma was talking about with the best before dates and sell-by dates. It's almost like in the space of 80, 90 years, we've lost... We've, we've, we're scared of everything. Like, we've lost our understanding of what real food looks like. And, you know, chicken isn't just this pink, shapeless thing that no. comes in a plastic box from the supermarket. And, yes, you can eat that piece of cheese even though it's two days over its best-by date. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know where the problem came from, but how do we get back to that mentality i can tell you where it came from it came from um industrialization it came from the fact that food then started to become a medium by which uh, it could be mechanized mechanized production so now you see rather than people tilling the land and people actually being part of food produ- production we're not now we're in boxes and mm. you know with windows looking out doing mm. paperwork mm. and admin rather than being actually part of the land we're not in touch our, with what we're, we're not yeah. and then you have the mechanization you know all the the, the um, um, vehicles mm. 
um, that go and till the soil and then plant the seeds and then put the pesticides on. We aren't part of that. It takes one farmer to drive the vehicle, you know, and harvest everything. Everything's done. The amazing technology to harvest carrots and to harvest everything without the use of, you know, an army of people to do it. And that's where that's where now we've become really divorced from the land. Absolutely. And, and sadly, you know. Our children are becoming more and more separated. Mm. Um, you know, and you hear stories, don't you, of people, children not really knowing where milk comes from. I don't know if that's an urban myth. I've heard of that. Um, or being quite disgusted at the fact that potatoes come from the ground and you have to... Where else... We'd think where else would they come from, but, you know, we're always taught soil is dirty and it's mm. this, that and the other. You know, it's a sterilise... It's mechanisation and sterilisation of there everything. There are some good programmes out there now because we work with Fuel for School and they, they go in to schools as well as us delivering uh, this surplus food to them. They work directly with the school children and help them uh, understand where the food comes from and they grow different fruits and vegetables and herbs and things like that with them so they can see how it starts say from a seed and then growing into something amazing and then and then cooking it with them so i think there are some it is yes it's we are trying to go claim it yes we are trying to go back to where we started Mm. and i think i think it says a lot about where we are in terms of food poverty as well and you know with the rise of wonky veg coming back into popularity because we're you know, I think we're all a little bit more conscious of what we're wasting in terms of food. Well, a lot of us are, and Alex and I actually often discuss the idea that we possibly live in a bubble because we talk to people like you who are conscious about these things, and that's kind of our circle of almost influence where we're talking to you and we're talking to other people who feel the same way. We know not everyone <clears throat> does. But do you, think, do you think there's a change coming? Have you seen change over the last year, two years? I don't, well, it's, it's difficult because we're in it. Because we're in it. That's <laughs> yeah. what, this is what I was thinking about so earlier. Like, how can how can we tell what's going on out there? Because we live it every day, don't we? I suppose, with like you were saying, with regard to the schools, yes, we see a change in um, definitely since the eighties and nineties. I mean, I'm fifty now, so um, my sort of schooling was in the eighties and the nineties. I think that there is a change. I think now that these programmes that are being designed, education programmes designed to teach children and teach adults about growing, um, I think those important programmes are creating change. And I think there's a lot more consciousness around around sustainability and eco-matters. So you just got to look at the things that are happening in London, all the protests and everything. It's all about climate climate change at the moment, isn't it? So I do feel like we're on the cusp of something massive happening, whether that's going to be a good thing or bad thing, we don't know yet. But I do feel like it's um, a lot more well-known about, about what's going on with, our, with the atmosphere and about the planet and about trying to work out ways that are more um, caring towards our planet and sustainable ways of, mm. of living. Um, and there's a, and veganism, vegetarian and veganism is on the so rise. Much. You know, plant-based mm. diets mm. and and plant-based produce are now really in the shops. I mean, I know years and years ago when I was vegetarian, you if you went out to eat, you were just given a bowl of salad. Yeah, 
salad. Mm. It was so boring. Vegetable and now, snack. Mm. And now you can just get the most fantastic <laughs> yeah. dishes. And now there are vegan restaurants, vegetarian vegan restaurants, and it's just fantastic. And also an exploration of more diverse dishes as well you know dishes from india dishes from turkey dishes mm. from different continents that's come over that's that's a change that we've noticed as well yeah i mean look when i when i eat out my husband you know i'll, I'll eat vegetarian when i eat out but my husband quite often chooses the vegetarian or the vegan option because his, his theory i guess is that the food is so much tastier because it's not mm. just okay meat's the star of the show i don't need to do much to that when it's veg there's a lot more creativity yeah, involved. yeah. you have to so like find that, that really interesting yeah. and that prompts us to ask actually you decided to go meat free for mm-hmm. perfectly edible what was the reason behind that along the same lines um yeah i mean there's a few different reasons i mean the quality of the meat that we were getting wasn't the best I would say uh, we were only getting it from one source, um, and it was it was chicken mainly. So uh, we would have to go through, um, it get, you know, obviously going to collect it and then bringing it in, and then if we weren't going to use it on that day, we'd have to freeze it and then it'd be defrosting it. So it was like a lot of like man hours going into something, um, just 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 this one product. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, also and there's a lot of protocols around yeah, meat if exactly. you want to get your I mean we're rate we're rated five and so if you want to maintain that it's it's hard work you have to maintain your kitchens you have mm. to maintain everything to a certain standard but when you've got meat involved there are also other things that you have to do you have to have certain protocols and we thought Actually, the amount of the, the quality and the amount of meat that we were getting didn't justify the extra amount of work. So we just decided, no, we, we can. And we've got so many. We've got such a diverse range of people coming here. Um, vegetarian seemed the best option for yeah. everybody. Really, I guess you can get the food to the people that need it quicker as well by not having to. Yeah, go through all that faff yeah. to check that the meat's okay, and, um, and that brings us round really. So we've talked a lot about sustainability and kind of for the planet and the environment and changing yeah. people's behaviours. But I guess what we've not talked about is the food poverty, the the type of people who are using your services and the type of people that need to use your services, and it, the fact that people are reliant on people like you, and that you know the government isn't sorting this issue out. But that's a whole other conversation. Mm. So. Um, I guess kind of what type of people are visiting the cafe and coming to the to the market stall it's anyone and everyone there's no we don't stipulate any specific demographic everybody is welcome we're not we're not interested how much money you've got or not got or where you're from anybody is welcome at all however what we do find is that it is people who are on maybe single income um, or maybe on benefits or maybe, um, what would you say? Well, just going back to the event that we did last year because we did a food parcel event over Christmas um, and that was, you know, trying to target people that were on low incomes um, and I would would say 95% of the people that got in contact with with me were... uh, like young or middle-aged um, females with children um, on benefits. That that was literally mm. the majority of the people that got in contact with me. Um, there were a, a couple of blokes, but it literally was just mm. just single 
to people to trying to feed their children, family. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was there was one lady who um, she was pregnant at the time and she wasn't eating, um, so she could feed her young kid. So, like, rather than us waiting. Um, until the day that we actually did the food parcel event, we got out to her like as quick as we could and gave her like probably about three times as much as what we give. And gave we maintain the day. <laughs> these relationships as well. Yeah. So we know these people mm-hmm. now. So we also, as a as a project, look after these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a community. Yeah, 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 yeah. we do because it. You know, they're our community, and we want, like you say, the government's not doing anything about it. Does it feel? Like um, it, no? And in fact, there was a. I think it was thirty-eight degrees. Mm-hmm. I got a petition online from thirty-eight degrees, and the petition was um, something like to petition supermarkets to give more food to food banks. And I deliberated about signing it and I just thought, you know what, it shouldn't be about petitioning more food to be given to food banks. It should be a petition to eradicate food banks. We're in a we're in a first world country. You know, Great Britain was a, a nation that colonised most of the world. What on earth is going on? You've got homelessness rising, you've got the use of food banks rising, and it really is appalling. I had a look on the way here, it's 1.9 million people uh, needed to use a food bank last year and that had gone from, uh, so I think the the figures started um, early 2000s and it was like less than 5,000 people using them and now it's it's literally, it's just skyrocketed, it's 19%. And half of that, the statistics are half of that, so you're talking, what did you say, about 1.9 million? Yeah, and that's just people that are using, I think it was like three parcels or more. And half of that is children. Mm. Yeah, half of that is children. So we've got, the government has set a, a target to reduce child poverty but what are they doing about it? Because actually what they're doing is they're, they're relying on charities and community interest companies like us in order to take the shortfall mm, um, exactly rather than investing. Yeah, that is exactly what is happening. So they are lucky that there are people like you. Because as we said in our introduction, you've saved 50,000 tonnes of waste and you are well, one organisation in 50 one... Tons. F- 50 what did I say? 50,000. 50, 50 million tons. <laughs> um, yeah, and we you wish. Are, <laughs> you are one organisation in one yeah. city, yeah. in one county. Yes, one tiny organisation. And, and that is astonishing. Yeah. And yes, the government have set this target. I don't want to get all political here. No. Um, <laughs> but it sounds as though they've set that target and they're going to sit back and wait for charities and CICs to, to do meet the work. it. To mm-hmm. meet it. And we know, because we've got connections with homeless charities um, and food banks as well, and we, we um, there's a forum and we're always saying, you know, we, we note the increase in the usage of our services. Yeah. And so with the increase of the use in our services, it means that our services are under more strain, but we don't get... We, we're not funded. It's perfectly edible UK. We're not funded at all. A lot of organisations are, but their funding is each year cut, mm. so their margins are smaller, and yet they have to cater for more people. Mm. You know, tell me what that's all about. But maybe that's another <laughs> that's another podcast. Yes, and probably another full-length episode of the podcast. If people at home want help or um, they know people who need help or they want to help, 
um, what do they need to do? It literally is just a case of sending us a message um, and I'll get back to them personally, whether that's if they want to help us or they need help. It's just literally just a message. Or they want to donate, you yeah. know, whatever <laughs> it is they want to donate. Yeah. People, we have people who work in allotments. They have allotments and they give us their food as well, their surplus. Oh, that's brilliant. See, that's a way I wouldn't have thought of, mm. of helping. We will have some show notes, so we'll include your contact details in there. Now, you do a bit of fundraising, and you've got a few things coming up over the next few months. Yep. So can you tell us a little bit about what, you know, you said you've got some events coming up. Can you tell us just a little bit about that, you know, into the summer and, and later in the year? Yeah, so, yeah, we've got lots going on. Um, one of the biggest things that we, which we've not done before is um, we're going to a festival this year called Timber Festival, um, and that's held in the National Forest. Um so yeah, we're going to be hosting a thing called a binner, which is a <laughs> dinner which would otherwise be going in the bin. Um, it's going to be for around 60 to 70 people, I think. We're doing wow. a, a two-course dinner. It's going to be, hopefully, a beautiful summer, we're hoping. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be um, yeah, set in some beautiful fields somewhere. This is, this is me imagining what it's going to be like, probably chucking it down in the rain. Um, I don't say that. Yeah, no, don't, don't <laughs> So yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to have like a nice fancy tent up and everything, and then yeah, just cook them all dinner. And um, I think it, yeah, they're just going to be giving donations for for um, the, the food they eat. I think it's like ten pounds for a two course dinner, which I think is pretty good. The thing that's probably so. quite interesting is that um, <laughs> you probably don't know what that meal will be yet. No, no, no idea. And we that's don't quite, know what, no. We don't know what stock's going to exactly. come in. We have no, every, every day is an adventure for us. Which you is, never know what you'll be cooking for. No, and, and, and it's ready, steady, cook bit, every day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's great. Challenge it's challenge or something. Yeah. It is, it is like that. We do have to be really, really creative and really resourceful. I mean, we do, we do go back to, like, particular types. Like, a curry's always good. You mm. can mm. literally make, like, <laughs> any yeah. type of yeah. curry. I know Laquinta can. And things like... Well, what else do we make? We always make soup. That's always a good one. That is a, a starter. Um, but then, because we do, we do like a lot of private um, catering as well. So we'll be catering for. We've got a wedding next week. Amazing. Um, so obviously, they've like obviously tapped into the whole food waste thing, and they want to um, do something for their wedding that is eco-friendly and, you know, saving food and all that kind of stuff. We have a lot of interest, don't we? So it's not always people that are on the breadline and haven't got money. We do work with people that are just interested in, um, you know, preventing food waste and having, like, an alternative way of... Yeah. Right, there you go, The catering. Yeah. If you're uh, looking (laughs) for a really different kind of wedding feast, talk to the the food waste guys. (laughs) Right. We've touched very lightly on some really huge topics mm-hmm. and managed to avoid getting too political, which is always good. But what you are doing is phenomenal. And as we said earlier, if it wasn't for people like you, this country would be in a, a lot worse of a mess. I think that ends us on a really nice note. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gemma Thank and Yvette. It's been Thank brilliant you. talking to you. If you enjoyed Gemma and Yvette's story about Perfectly Edible, you will probably like some of our other stories, so take a look at atthesource.com. We're also on Twitter, and if you want to subscribe to the podcast, we're pretty much on all of the platforms. We're everywhere. (laughs) And we would really love if you could leave us a rating so that more people can find us. Over and out.